Time for a midday program here on 880. Thank you so much for listening in. It is a gorgeous Wednesday out there, and I uh, hope you get a chance to get out and enjoy it. I'm Scott Foster. Along with us today, Brandon Bennett and Bob Brogan in studio for a roundtable discussion, and also joining us off of uh, a well-earned vacation is Susan Littlefield, and good morning. Well, good morning. So you are at Triumph of Ag, is that right? I am at the CHI Center taking place uh, right here downtown Omaha. So nice. it, it's it's a nice small farm show, lots of uh, things for folks to see and, and check out when it comes to technology. Very good, very good. Well, what do you guys got for us today? Well, we're going to kick it all off here at 1219 as Shaley will step in with Congressman Ted Yoho. He is a member of the House Ag Committee. He introduced some legislation today on Labor Certainty for Food Security Act, and it's this week addressing ag guest workers and what we've been seeing when it comes to labor shortages. Then Brandon will come in at 1245 as he talks with Dr. Putnam, Dr. Fries, um, with UNK Symposium that's taking place on rural health care issues. Then on uh, last week, I had the opportunity to sit down with uh, Richard Fordyce, the administrator of the Farm Service Agency. As you may have heard, there's help on the way for our sugar beet growers. So he talks about this new program that they introduced last Friday. All right. So lots going on once again. And uh, enjoy yourself there in Omaha, all right? I will. Thanks so much. All right. Thank you, Susan. We turn it over to Brandon. And uh, good to know that the Nebraska State High School stuff is all ready to go. Regular season's over with. We got games to play now. So that'll be fun. We do indeed. And to touch base a little bit on that newsmaker, one hospital in rural America closes every three weeks across the country. And UNK spent this past week, Monday and Tuesday, talking about rural health care issues. So those two guys, one is a past president of the National Rural Health Association, and one's a doctor and a CEO in Nebraska City. So lots coming up on the newsmaker. On the sports side, UNK had three seniors on the MIAA team and then five of the women's five in the women's team. So we'll hear from them and the head coach of the UNK men's basketball team, Kevin Lofton. I hope they slept in today because they've got the eight fifteen game tonight in Kansas City. Those are t- those are tough. Dude. Those are tough. Yeah, prime time though, so I guess that's a that's a good thing. There. If you're a night owl, yeah. Whew. All right, we will be uh, we'll be getting you information as it comes on which games we'll be doing down. We know that we'll be doing the girls Loomis game down at State, and then of course uh, Loomis boys down there too. Man, Loomis is uh, it's going to be a party town the next couple days. It, al- it always is, isn't it's, it? Uh, Metro Loomis. I bet you Dave will be. Uh, Dave's probably going to be leading the group. Now, are you talking downtown South Central Loomis or the suburbs? Uh, usually, usually I go. Uh, I, I think of the suburbs more, but uh, they've really revitalized the downtown in Loomis, so it's good. There you go. <laughs> we got Bob Brogan here. Bob, you. I don't know what you did, but all of a sudden stocks doing really well. Good work. Well, I just, um, I don't know. I thought good thoughts and, you know, took you in nutrition do. and all that stuff. Got my supermarket. Said my your prayers, s- took your vitamins, and yeah. uh, everything Hulk Hogan used to say for your three demandments, huh? There That's, That's uh, what yeah, you to brother. Do. So the stocks are up a little bit today, led by healthcare stocks. Uh, Joe Biden did okay, I guess, and Super Tuesday. And uh, so we're watching that. Um, they're also saying some events may need to be curtailed, but uh, Berkshire Hathaway, the show must go on, and they they're going to hold their annual meeting regardless on May second. So, but they'll be uh, streaming it online 
and so investors won't have to travel. All right. Very good. That's all coming up on Midday. Time for us to take a look at our weather and how it's affecting agriculture for us and around the world. And my goodness, another very nice day. And uh, in, in you said something uh, in our weather brief that uh, this was going to be the nicest week since fall in yeah, that nicest weekend coming yes, up yeah this, this, this nicest fall. weekend since fall maybe the nicest week total <laughs> since fall but uh gosh that that really sets it home a little bit doesn't it home. exactly Jeez. yeah things looking pretty good here as we start to continue to roll through march on a very very good note temperatures right now in much of the area in the mid to upper 60s already touching the low 60s on into northeast colorado those winds though starting to pick yeah. up yeah, it was it was about as nice as it. I mean, when it was calm and getting into the fifties, that's just perfect. But in here comes the winds. Exactly. We always have to pay for a price, and right. this month definitely already living up to its reputation of being a windy month for the month of March. Right now, once again, those temperatures mid to upper fifties across the area. Winds picking up out of the south and southwest, and those winds will continue to add to the extreme fire danger across the area, especially in portions of western and central Nebraska, and also into northwest to north central kansas a red flag warning it goes into effect this afternoon till early this evening basically along and west of a line from o'neill to broken bow lexington and the franklin area and all of northwest and north central kansas in that red flag warning for high fire danger sunshine and warmer on the temperatures today our temperatures look to be about 15 degrees above normal southwest winds gusty just ahead of a trough of low pressure tracking through the region and once again increasing that fire danger with the low humidity warmer temperatures and gusty winds winds tonight out of the northwest later on behind a cold front will be a bit on the gusty side the wind though will help to hold the temperatures to above freezing for many of us tomorrow will be windy and cooler but still slightly above average drier and gusty northwest winds behind this front once again leading to extreme fire danger Warmer air is back by Friday through Sunday with a ridge of high pressure. Highs expected to max out right around 70 over the weekend and result in our nicest weekend that we've seen since last fall. With a cold front on Sunday night, there could be enough instability in place for a few thunderstorms before a more general rain sets in by Monday morning. A few snowflakes could mix in by late Sunday night or Monday morning, but overall it appears to be mainly a rain event. Some forecast models indicating the potential of a quarter to a half an inch of precipitation with that system Sunday night into Monday. Some lingering chances into Monday and Tuesday. At the In the long-term forecast, that likelihood of warmer than normal temperatures for Nebraska, Kansas, and much of the U.S. looks to continue Monday through March 17th. During that time in central Nebraska, our daytime highs usually average in the upper 40s to low 50s, with average overnight lows in the mid-20s. Slightly above normal precipitation is predicted Monday through the 17th for Nebraska and Kansas. Soil temperatures 4 inches down at 7 this morning, right around 33 to 34 in much of Nebraska. From southwest Nebraska into much of Kansas, soil temperatures at the 4-inch depth ranged in the mid to upper 30s. Weather factors driving the markets include ongoing dryness in much of South America and slow drying in the Midwest. The Midwest forecast calls for light and scattered precipitation to continue through the end of the week. Slow drying in the Midwest will continue but also be stopped by a strong storm that's expected to bring widespread moderate precipitation early next week. For the northern plains, very wet conditions will continue for those areas that still need to be harvested. In the southern plains, heavy rain is predicted for southern areas today. The rest of the southern plains will be dry with strong winds drying the soil moisture. A new storm in the southern plains early next week 
could produce some more moderate widespread precipitation. The Delta will continue to see rain that keeps the soils wet and limits their field work. Southern Brazil's soybean crop size may be reduced by a trend of very little rain through the next week. Farther north in Brazil, some scattered rain will push out of the region through this weekend and allow continued soybean harvest progress and also second crop corn development. In Argentina, the corn and soybeans now in the filling stage continue to be stressed with dry conditions this week. Rain is possible for Friday through the weekend, but could be very hit or miss. Okay, well, we'll see what that brings us next week, huh? Yes, exactly. I looked, yeah, a quarter to a half an inch of moisture with yeah. that system and with the warming of the soils that probably will soak in a little bit better yeah and maybe with as windy as it's going to be we could use it we can use it too exactly especially to lower the fire danger for today and tomorrow right 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 right. all right very good thank you paul appreciate it where do you go to check in on your weather weather tab krvn.com Congressman Ted S. Yohobu, Republican from Florida, a member of the House Ag Committee, will be introducing the Labor Certainty for Food Security Act. Good afternoon. Shaley Peters joining you back here on the Rural Radio Network. And during a press call, Congressman Yoho went into detail on how this Ag Guest Worker Bill would address the ag labor shortage. What this program does is it reforms the H-2A program, gives flexibility on start dates, on the wages, um, and allows workers to be able to uh, move from one farm to the other without going through the heavy petitioning process. Um, once, uh, and when they enroll into the system, they're automatically enrolled into the E-Verify system from the get-go. Um, and so the next year they come in, they will be automatically enrolled in the E-Verify system. It'll be kind of like TSA PreCheck. We remove people from getting social security numbers we issue them a 15-digit um, unique number to that individual on the H-2A program. On the three-year year-round program, we allow people to apply to work in this country three years at a time. They can renew two and a half years into the program for another three years. Uh, again, they're automatically enrolled into the E-Verify system. Um, so our employers are taking legitimate people that uh, has already been background checked and cleared uh, through the DHS. And one of the big components of this bill is we move ag labor from the Department of Ag uh, Labor and we move it under the USDA for their oversight and administration of the permits. Um, when a person comes in on the three-year program, they get issued again a 15-digit identification number in addition, they'll be issued what we call the GWIC card, which is a guest worker identification card that'll have smart chip technology only for uh, DHS and USDA to use. And that'll have uh, biometrics that DHS deems they, they feel is important to have in there. This gives the, the worker, the migrant worker that comes into this country, proof positive that they are who they say they are Again, they get a 15-digit number, not a Social Security number, but it gives them the flexibility to apply for a driver's license that they can follow a season. Um, one of the things they have to do is work in agriculture 75% uh, of the year. Both the H-2A program and the three-year program obligates that worker to work in the ag sector only. This is enforced through the E-Verify system 
at the end of that 15 digit number will be the initials AG, meaning this person has come in, they've agreed to work in ag and ag only in this country. Congressman Yoho said this bill would also include people already in the U.S. People that are already in this country illegally, we allow them to apply to this program. Uh, background checks will be done by DHS. People that have minor infractions with the law, they'll be able to get, they'll have a time period where they can get those straightened out and they apply through a program that the USDA will run via social media and flyers. Uh, they apply to this and while they're applying, they have uh, protection from deportation. Once they're cleared and, and they go through the process and if they have minor offenses, uh, offenses with the law, they clear those up, uh, they enter into this program and they're good to go for three years at a time. We'll have more on this as the bill gets introduced this week. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. It is time for us to check in on sports. Brandon Bennett's in here with us on a very nice Wednesday afternoon. And uh, how are things going today, Brandon? Well, we're going to talk about basketball. Okay. And then we're going to talk about basketball. Uh-huh. Yep. And then the well, the dessert, so to speak, is going to be more basketball. Well, it is that time of year. It is that time of year. Loomis boys have made it back to state. They'll play next Thursday night at 8.45 p.m. We will carry that game likely right here on the flamethrower. Schedules are still being ironed out here and there, but the leader in the clubhouse is we will very likely have that. And, of course, we'll confirm that with you when we get the schedule set. Southern Valley plays at 3.45 next Thursday. We'll keep you updated about which of our stations will cover that game. And for simplicity's sake, they're going to both both going to be at Lincoln East. So we got that going for us. Well, and and we all know how crazy it is to get to those places, uh, those high schools. It gets very packed. So it does. be patient when you get there. Right. University of Nebraska basketball team on the women's size placed five on the 2019-2020 All-MIAA women's basketball team. Sophomore post Brooke Carlson from Elkhorn made the second team. Graduate transfer point guard Haley Simmental from Pueblo West, Colorado is on the third team. Junior, junior guard Kelsey Sanger from Crofton. Sophomore forward Megan Holt from Council Bluffs, Iowa. And sophomore wing Claire Kirsch from Rapid City, South Dakota, receiving honorable mention. Sanger becomes the first UNK Loper to make the All-MIAA team three times in a career with Carlson earning honorable mention honors as a freshman. Now, note that's not the first Loper to make the all-conference team three times. Many other Lopers have done that in the other, other various conferences. It's just the all-MIAA team. UNK women now 25-5 and five on the season, the third seed in the 10-team MIAA tournament. They'll face the sixth seed Missouri Western State. The Griffins 21-7. and seven. That game will be Friday afternoon at 2.15 p.m. In a second-round game, the UNK women did well enough to be able to get a bye in the first round. Of course, we'll have that action for you on Friday afternoon on 93.1 The River. On the men's side, UNK has placed three seniors on the All-MIAA men's team. Senior forward Morgan Susie makes a second team. Senior forwards A.J. Jackson and Kyle Joe receiving honorable mention honors. And Lopers begin MIAA action tonight against the Gorillas from Pittsburgh State. Head coach Kevin Lofton says that this has been a pretty good group to work with. Every coach thinks their team deserves it, but and I'm no different. I, I have my seniors. I love them. They've hung in there. They, they've stayed the course. they bought into the culture we're trying to build here, the identity. Uh, they've done a great job of representing us, and, and I'd love to see them make it to the next round. Always want to mention our many fine sponsors. That moment of silence earlier brought to you by the Loomis Public Library.
The seven-seeded Lopers on the men's side finished the regular season 16-12 and 12 overall, 10-9 in conference play. They're uh, pretty decent, 31-9 and nine all-time against the 10th-seeded Gorillas, who are coming in a, at 11-17. and 17. Uh, That includes an 81-80 overtime decision back January the 4th. The Health and Sports Center in Kearney tip-off time tonight from Kansas City is set for 8.15 p.m. And, of course, we'll bring that to you right here. Jason is in Kansas City as we speak on 93.1 The River and, of course, online as well. And our college basketball dessert. College basketball reached the final week of the regular season in all major conferences. A lot is still left to be decided. Number 6, Kentucky, has wrapped up the SEC title. and Number 8, Seton Hall, has earned a share of the Big East. After that, it's all up for grabs. The ACC, Big 12, Big 10, Pac-12 all come down to the wire. The Big 10 is a logjam at the top. Six teams are within two games of each other in the... What are we now, 13 teams in the Big Ten schedule? So you got that going for us, too. And the NCAA isn't ruling out any contingencies when it comes to coronavirus concerns in the NCAA Sweet 16 tournament and otherwise. In an interview with Bloomberg News, Chief Operating Officer Donald Ramey. You know, when I went to a career day in high school, no one ever told me that there was a Chief Operating Officer for just the tournament. This is not the NCAA's Chief Operating Officer. This is the officer just for the tournament. They uh, must have missed that one for career day. The NCAA's men's Division I basketball tournaments. we got qualifiers there. Chief Operating Officer Donald Ramey did not dismiss the possibility of games being played with no fans in arenas, but, of course, we're too far out to know. Games, of course, would very likely still be televised. The NCAA has established a coronavirus advisory panel of medical public health and epidemiologist experts and, of course, NCAA schools, and we'll wait to hear about that. Wouldn't that be something to... To watch the game with no one in there. I think it would be the most unnerving for the players. Oh, absolutely. Because you're used to noise. Even if you go into a hostile gym, you kind of feed off of that sometimes. If you go into a dead silence gym, which I've always said, if you really want to throw an opposing player off his his or her game while shooting a free throw, go dead silent. Don't make all the noise. Don't try to distract him. Go dead silent. We'll see. It'll be interesting. interesting. Thank you, Brandon. about the coronavirus are having an impact on the economy of a nine-state region in the Midwestern Plains. A new survey report says the Mid-American Business Conditions Index sank in February from 52.8 to 57.2 in January. Creighton University economist Ernie Goss oversees the survey, and he says the softer reading and the potential harm from the virus should concern policymakers. Goss was asked about the looming threat of the virus. Four, four out of ten, four out of forty percent of the supply managers indicated negative impacts from the coronavirus, and that's a real concern for the regional economy going forward. We ask about twenty-seven uh, percent said they'd switch vendors, actual switch vendors because of the coronavirus. So that's that's a real concern if this coronavirus is if we do see that in the U.S popping up and more so, more than what, we, what we've seen thus far. Survey organizers say any score above 50 suggests growth, a score below suggests decline. The survey covers from Arkansas to Nebraska, the Dakotas, and over to Minnesota and Missouri. People who are sexually assaulted could bring a personal advocate to help them through the aftermath under a bill advanced by Nebraska lawmakers. Lawmakers gave the measure first round approval Tuesday on a 41 to nothing vote. It would create a Sexual Assault Survivors Bill of Rights, 
giving survivors the right to have an advocate of their choosing present during medical exams and legal depositions. Survivors could also be interviewed by a law enforcement officer of the gender they choose. The Phelps Harlan County Casa Men in Tights Lights Out Grand Finale hits the bright lights on March 13th from 6 to 9 p.m. at the Holdridge City Auditorium. Executive Director Christina Millsap says eight contestants who have won in the past will compete against each other. Millsap says the event raises funds for CASA, which is the shortened name for court-appointed special advocate. How does one get tickets? Go to the website. You can purchase tickets for our Lights Out event, Grand Finale on March 13th. Or if you want to learn more about CASA or become a CASA volunteer, all of our contact information is on our website. The website is phelpsharlancasa.org. Meals for the event will be catered by the station in Alma. A recently released public disclosure statement says a former Goodwill Omaha CEO got $610,000 after he was ousted amid scandal over his six-figure salary, bonuses, and perks. Frank McGree sued Goodwill in 2017 because it wouldn't pay his severance. The charity's board acknowledged in 2018 that it settled the lawsuit until now, the settlement figure wasn't publicly known. It was first reported in October 2016 that McGree received total compensation of more than $933,000 in 2014, and 13 executives were paid more than $100,000. Reporting for the Rural Radio Network, I'm Austin Jacobson. On Monday and Tuesday of this week, the University of Nebraska Kearney held the annual John C. Marinow Symposium on the Morality of Capitalism. This year's focus was specific to rural health care issues across the nation. Since 2003, Dr. Tim Putnam has served as the CEO of the Margaret Mary Health System in Batesville, Indiana. Dr. Putnam is the immediate past president of the National Rural Health Association and is a past chair of the National Rural Accountable Care Consortium. On Monday, Dr. Putnam kicked off the Marinow Symposium with his presentation, a forecast on rural health care challenges on the horizon. I had a chance to sit down and talk with Dr. Putnam and get a summary of his presentation. Well, it's really focused on my experience as a healthcare leader, my work with the National Rural Health Association, what I've seen throughout the nation in rural health care and the challenges that leaders and providers face in rural areas, how to be able to continue their mission to improve the health of the communities they serve. Dr. Putnam, the state of Nebraska has 13 counties of the 93 in Nebraska that have no primary care physicians at all. How will the Maranau Symposium help to flush out those issues and maybe even resolve some of that? I think there's twofold. One is bringing attention to the issue. When I talk to legislators in Washington, it's very difficult because in rural areas we only represent 18% of the population. So in a democracy, that's very difficult to get your message through and get action on the challenges we face. The very good part about it is there are 98 senators that believe they're from a rural state, and I don't want to do anything to dissuade them from that. So it's, it's a little of that of this is what the situation is. These are the challenges we're facing. But a lot of it, I believe, in healthcare, we need to become agrarian and not hunter-gatherers when it comes to physicians and nurses and technicians. So part of it is talking to the students today about what the values are and what the glorious aspects of delivering health care in rural areas. You get to interact and be there to make a difference for your friends and neighbors. And so some of that is how do we grow that next generation of rural health care providers and not depend on the Brooklyn to the farm aspect of it, but get kids that are growing up in our areas to become trained in health care and come back to our communities. If you could wave a magic wand, what would that look like for the future of rural health care beyond growing our own? 
I always want to appeal to the parents when I come to this. If you can get your kids interested in healthcare, this is a profession that pays well, it guarantees to go on, and they can have a job in your hometown so your grandkids can be local. So it, part of it is swaying the parents to understand this is a great thing for your kids to be interested in. Other than that, I think some of the things from the legislative standpoint are really important of getting them to realize that it, it's healthcare that's necessary, but not a hospital. How do we create models that make it viable to continue to have healthcare in low density? populated areas. And there's a lot of technology and a lot of applications, but there's still some barriers regulatory-wise that stand in our way. And uh, the part that gets me is people talk about the U.S. healthcare system like there is one. There is no U.S. healthcare system, but there's no shortage of good people doing good work. And how do we kind of release the bonds of the things that inhibit them from doing that good work? Some of the best people I've ever met are just struggling to be able to take care of their patients and they want to do a good job. And, and some of it is getting government officials to realize they can work with us to be able to create those new models of delivery and uh, there's a lot to look forward to a lot of challenges but just phenomenal people that you get to work with in rural health care one of the other presenters on monday's symposium was dr daniel defreeze ceo of st mary's chi health system hospital in nebraska city dr defreeze explains a little bit about his background and what brought him to nebraska city well, my background is in primary care. I was actually trained as a family physician and did my residency in Lincoln Medical Education Foundation and then uh, was recruited to Nebraska City. So for a large part of my career, I provided basic just general family practice, including obstetrics and ER and inpatient and the full gamut of primary care. About 2010 or so, I started getting into a little bit of the management side with working with information technology and implementation of an EHR for the physician network out of Lincoln and then worked a little bit in quality at that point and then a couple years ago was asked to become the president of St. Mary's Hospital when our previous administrator resigned. In the Nebraska City area, one of the things that Dr. Putnam talked about in his opening remarks was that challenge to bring in new providers, especially young providers, to the rural areas of the country. Have you seen that in the Nebraska City area as well? What we've really seen more of is the change in the workforce and what physicians are looking for in a practice and what advanced practice clinicians are looking for in practice as far as work-life balance. That is uh, ever-evolving and probably one of our bigger challenges in Nebraska City. Give us a preview of what your presentation is going to look like in the Marinow Symposium. We have an MRI scanner that happens to work with some technology that was actually developed in Israel to help treat essential tremors. And with that, we've developed this relationship with a company called InsightTech to be able to provide that service, which very interesting in rural America to be having that high tech of a, a procedure done in a critical access hospital. But it's allowed us to increase our capacity and to provide you know, a service for patients with a very detrimental disease, which is part of our mission and you know, to help take care of people. So it's been an interesting marriage in a largely primary care focused facility to provide this, this service. If you could wave a magic wand, what would that elixir be to help address some of these critical rural health care shortages in rural Nebraska? I think we're going to have to get creative with how we use our medical staffs. I think largely the model of recruiting people to come in and you know trying to get them to stay and th those are all great but I think we're going to have to work together as a system in rural health care on how we utilize our medical staffs, in fact, sharing medical staffs. Also, technology, how we use telehealth medical staff. So our concept of medical staff and, and nursing staff, and even, even staff in general, I think it's going to really need to change and evolve. 
That was my conversation with both Dr. Tim Putnam, the CEO of Margaret Mary Health System in Batesville, Indiana, and my conversation with Dr. Daniel DeFries, the CEO of St. Mary's CHI Health System in Nebraska City, just two of the 15 different presentations of this year's 2020 John C. Maranau Symposium focusing on rural health care issues. With the Rural Radio Network, this is Brandon Bennett's. Time for us to take a look at our business report here on KRVN on this Wednesday afternoon, 1254. Markets have uh, rebounded after about a week's worth of really bad days. A good day here uh, across the board for the most part. So we're going to the Asian markets. The Japanese Nikkei was up 17. The Hong Seng in Hong Kong was down 62, however. London's FTSE was up 98, and the German DAX index was up 142. Here in the United States, the 10-year yield is uh, still down about a, a point, a percentage and a half. Uh, but the New York Stock Exchange looking good. Dow Jones Industrial Average up 800 points. The NASDAQ was up 241. And the Standard & Poor up 89. Bob Rogan for more. Stocks jumped this morning and clawed back much of their sharp losses from the day before as Wall Street's wild virus-fueled swings extend into a third week. Healthcare stocks led the market spurt after a strong performance by Joe Biden in state primaries on Tuesday moved him to top-tier status for the Democratic presidential nomination. Many investors believe he is more friendly to businesses than the other top contender, Bernie Sanders whose proposals for health care and the economy could hurt profits at insurers and other companies. And in the meantime, uh, the list of Democratic candidates continues to uh, fall as Mike Bloomberg uh, dropped out today. So on to a private survey that finds that U.S. businesses added 183,000 jobs last month, a solid gain that shows the economy was largely healthy when the coronavirus outbreak spread further around the globe. ADP says February's hiring was down from 209,000 in January. Services companies grew at a faster pace in February than the month before. The Institute for Supply Management says its service sector index rose to 57.3 from 55.5 in January. The Berkshire Hathaway big shindig is coming up and... uh, uh, Berkshire Hathaway's investor, Warren Buffett, uh, plans to hold the annual meeting on May 2nd, regardless of the status of the ongoing virus outbreak that began in China. And folks that uh, ha- are lucky enough to have stock in Berkshire Hathaway will be able to watch it online. It will be, uh, it'll be broadcast online by Yahoo Finance, so investors don't have to travel. And that's the business news. All right. Thank you, Bob. I appreciate it. Uh, Good work on better stocks today. Nice hustle. Good hustle. Listen to KRVN on the FM. Find the latest market information, ag headlines, news, sports, and your favorite shows by tuning in to 98.5 FM in Grand Island and 106.9 FM in Kearney. 
Assistance available to sugar beet growers. Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. During Commodity Classic, I sat down with the Farm Service Agency's Administrator, Richard Fordyce, as we talked about the Friday announcement in helping our sugar beet growers. You're right, Susan. We, uh, we've been talking with sugar beet uh, growers for, for some time um, to understand kind of what their losses are. Um, and so, you know, a, a lot of crops have been affected, um, certainly by adverse weather and, and other things. And so, um, so today we announced um, $285 million uh, will go to, to sugar beet growers through the sugar beet processors. So this is a little bit different uh, approach. So, so basically this means sugar beet uh, producers that have losses, have crop losses, um, with their sugar beets will not go to a farm service agency office. They will go to their lo- to their to their processor or their co-op. Um, and so, again, as I mentioned um, before, we've been we've been talking and working with uh, with the co-ops for some time. Um, so so that we're all on the same page about how to administer the program um, and and what the process will be. And so um, so anyway, Congress um, uh, specifically mentioned sugar beets. In in an appropriations bill that, that created this opportunity, and so um, so it's it's I think it's it's an it's an innovative approach um, to be able to to help compensate certainly not making them whole, but to help compensate um, sugar beet growers uh, for their losses in 2018 and 2019. It's good to note that that is a two-year program that you're looking at. Right. So it, so absolutely. So it's um, you know in certain certain co-ops uh, or growers within co-ops within regions of the country were affected in 18. Some also affected in 19. Some not in 18. Um, and so, so it's really tailored to what is actually happening or what's happened um, within those uh, owns the, within those specific co-ops in those regions of the country. So um, we've spent a lot again, a lot of time working with them, understanding the business, understanding how they function. Um, and so I, I think this is um, this is a good approach, and it's a good approach to be able to um, support sugar beet growers with some with some assistance after. Um, in some cases, two bad years in a row. So then why different with this program going not to the FSA office and going to their, their processor or their cooperative where they took their sugar beets? So um, I think one of the reasons is um, is how, how the sugar beet cooperatives um, operate and how they function um, is a little bit different. So they're farmer-owned. Um, so the farmers that are growers uh, of the sugar beets are the owners of the co-op. And so, um, so uh, just based on how they're, how they're operated, how they're managed, um, you know, producers grow beets, go to the processor, um, lower volume of beets through a processor creates some unique situations that you don't see in other, other commodities or other crops. And so, so that's, that, that's always kind of been our thought from the beginning as we were working through this is that we would, um, um, we would, we would, we would have the the processors have the co-ops make the payments um, to the to the to their members, um, and it, and I think that's going to be a better way to better way to address it. They understand their business better better than you know than FSA does, and so um, so give them an opportunity to participate that way. Those comments coming from FSA Administrator Richard Fordyce. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network.
Clay Patton on the Rural Radio Network talking with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel Zag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. John, as the settlements roll in, fairly positive for corn, mixed for soybeans, and definitely lower for wheat. Yeah, you know, the corn markets are impressive. Uh, it's really, you know, March isn't trading. It's trading still. It's not really tradable for the, for the board. We are up now. March is the most expensive 2020 or 2020 contract, not new crop, on the board right now, closing at 387. So it's going to find some, uh, I'm sure you're going to find some offers there, and a lot of farmers are going to be willing to sell, especially given the basis being as strong as, as it is. You know, especially northwest of you, or northeast of you guys, there's there's a pretty stout cash market. But you know, we think like like the last month, few months. You know, the rally that sold early in the mar- in the delivery cycle will probably be rewarded by the end of the delivery cycle as we fall back near 360. So, question is right now, can South America produce? Uh, it's dry in Argentina right now, wet up in northern Brazil. Not a whole lot of story there, but it's something I think right now to at least keep your eye on on the dryness in Brazil, and that's pushed prices here. Uh, for May to be even with December, March to be over it, and July to be over it. So there's some premium on the board right now uh, with cash being king. Uh, get some follow-through. I think we need to get some bullish news. So if you're looking to sell in the short term, I think I'd, I'd reward the rally. As well, we looked. We did have China come in this morning on the sorghum side. Do we have enough momentum possibly to see China keep coming back for more? Well, they need to buy a lot. I mean, the, the amount they bought it today was more symbolic, in my opinion. I mean, they're going to buy, you know, bail us out of this this log jam we have of feed grains. I think it's going to have to come maybe ten times this amount. But that's what you know the plan would be. So if if I don't think they're going to buy yellow number two, they just tend to not do that very often. But they'll buy non-GMO, and I think that goes for Milo. Producers are going to chase it too. I talked to folks in uh, the the Delta area; they're going to plant my. Um, beans over cotton, and I think down in, in the southern areas south of you guys, there might be guys looking to shift from cotton to milo. So um, prices here are you know, pushing production towards corn. I think that's why the board is going to have a hard time rallying those 2020 contracts, 2021. Uh, meanwhile, the old crop has the tight cash story to kind of lean on in the near term. Again, we're talking with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel Zag Marketing in Chicago. You can learn more about their newsletter this week in grain by visiting their website. That's danielzagmarketing.com. Again, danielzagmarketing.com. We're higher across the board going into the settlements. We see that December new crop corn contract closing 385 and a half. That's up a penny. And the November new crop soybeans will actually in slightly lower, 917 and a half down one and three quarters. They had about a seven and three quarter cent trading range on the day. For the KC wheat market, July new crop 460 even down a nickel. It had an eight cent trading range on the day. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. And that's going to do it for our midday program here today. If you'd like to hear their midday program in its entirety, you can go to krvn.com, click on podcast, brought to you by Divinity Motors. Howdy, folks. This is Rick from Divinity Chrysler, Jeep, Dodge, Ram, and McCook. When you're ready to buy a new vehicle, expect that our hardworking, experienced staff will treat you just like family. Go to DaviniChryslerJeepDodge.com today. And remember, it's not a deal until it's a Davini deal.